This morning's reading is Psalm 97. If you are following in the church Bible, it's on page 603. Psalm 97. The Lord reigns. Let the earth be glad. Let the distant shores rejoice. Clouds and thick darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and consumes his foes on every side. His lightning lights up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness and all peoples see his glory. All who worship images are put to shame, those who boast in idols. Worship him, all you gods. Zion hears and rejoices, and the villages of Judah are glad because of your judgments, Lord. For you, Lord, are the most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. Let those who love the Lord hate evil, for he guards the lives of his faithful ones and delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Light shines on the righteous and joy on the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, you who are righteous, and praise his holy name. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, ML. It's great to be with you. And uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Matt and I'm on the clergy team at St. Michael's, and a really warm welcome to anyone who's watching online as well. Can I invite you to pray with me before I begin? Yes, Father, we ask that we would be increasingly mastered in our hearts and minds by the good news, and I ask that you would send the Holy Spirit to speak to us and to help me as I speak. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I wonder, have you ever experienced the strange um, sensation of feeling two seemingly uh, different emotions at the same time? For me, uh, the two emotions that come to mind um, are fear and excitement. One time I was climbing a mountain um, in the Lake District called Pillar, and uh, I hadn't looked at the weather report. Uh, which was a bit of a rookie mistake because as, as I got higher and higher up the mountain, uh, the wind started to get steadily stronger. And by the time I'd sort of got above a thousand feet, the rain was sort of coming in more sort of horizontally straight into my eyes. And it was really quite scary. And uh, eventually I began to realize, partly because the weather was too bad for me to get out a map, that I had no idea where I was, that I was lost. And in that moment, I felt two polar opposite emotions at the exact same time. I felt intense fear for my safety and getting stuck on the mountain. Uh, but I also felt a real excitement because I was out in the wild expanse of the mountains and the sense of adventure that comes with that. It's possible to feel, isn't it, two seemingly polar opposite emotions at the same time. You know, it's possible to feel sad when your youngest child leaves the nest because the house is quieter but also feeling happy and 
proud of them. It's possible to feel excited because you've got a new job and uh, the excitement of that, but then also to feel stressed because of the disruption that it brings into your life. It might be experiencing the pain of health problems, but at the same time feeling the love and warmth of your friends and family coming to see you. It's possible to feel two very different emotions at the same time. And in our, more, in our reading this morning, it teaches that to know the living and true God is to experience, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the powerful combination of both joy and reverence. And the psalmist is unashamed in affirming that once we see God's holy majesty, which he lays out for us so vividly in this reading, that both of those emotions will follow, joy and reverence. In terms of joy, it's kind of shot through this whole passage. He says in verse 1, the Lord reigns, let the earth be glad, let the distant shores rejoice. Or verse 8, Zion hears and rejoices and the villages of Judah are glad. Or verse 11, light shines on the righteous and joy in the upright in heart. And then it finishes on that victorious climax. Rejoice in the Lord, you who are righteous, and praise his holy name. The experience of joy is shot through this psalm from start to finish. But what's fascinating about this psalm is that right alongside this kind of uh, beating heart of joy, we find these powerful, um, almost formidable descriptions of God's glory and majesty. And the goal with these verses, it seems to me, is that we would feel an appropriate reverence for who God is. So in verse 2, he, he says, reminiscent of Moses at Mount Sinai, clouds and thick darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. He goes on to say in verse 3, fire goes before him and consumes his foes on every side. Or verse 5, the mountains melt like wax before the Lord. It's teaching that when we encounter the majestic and holy and living God of Scripture, we can expect that we will be led by him to feel joy, but that we will also be led to feel reverence. And I think this is a helpful challenge to us here, um, because as Christians, we have this incredible access to God because of Jesus, don't we? He shed his blood on the cross. We're cleansed and made right with God. We're able to stand before him with confidence and open hearts. But this reading says, as wonderful as those truths are, we, we need to be careful that we don't kind of um, domesticate God, that we don't make God into a nice, warm, fuzzy feeling at our disposal. A God that we maybe get out the box on Sunday but who gets swiftly put back in the box when he starts to show, well, verse two, his righteousness and justice. Or a God who calls us to, verse 10, hate evil. That's quite a strong phrase, isn't it? Let those who love the Lord hate evil. A God like that can get put back in the box very quickly. A God who cares about our habits during the week or who wants our integrity and honesty at work when nobody's watching or who wants our deep obedience, basically, from the heart. And so often we can feel, even if we don't say it out loud, um, I will, basically I want a God who will forgive me, but I don't want a God who will change me. 
But this passage teaches that God is too wild and too majestic and um, too wonderful to go along with that. Because joy without reverence is shallow. Reverence without joy is dry. But joy combined with reverence is what God is in the business of producing in our lives. I love how C.S. Lewis um, introduces Aslan in The Lion, the Witch, and the Raw Job when he says, um, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And the entire vision of God that drives Psalm 97 is expressed in three incredible words that we were just hearing in verse one. The Lord reigns. The Lord reigns. Now, when he says that, I'm told that it's in the perfect tense, uh, which means that this is a kind of past, present, and future unassailable reality, ongoing reality, that the Lord rules and reigns now. And his rule and reign will eventually spill out into, uh, from heaven into this world to completely transform and remake the world, defeating his enemies, as he says in verse 3, and overthrowing the false idols that human beings worship in verse 7. Now, it seems to me there's a big difference, though, isn't there, between ruling and reigning. It's a bit like yesterday, whatever your opinion is on the monarchy... The coronation would make no sense, would it, without the sense of celebration and occasion that comes with that? Uh, like, can you imagine the king arriving to be crowned, but the streets were empty, and there's no celebration, no bank holiday tomorrow, no concert tonight featuring uh, Lionel Richie or Take That, I'm told? You'd be tempted to think, you know, this guy might rule but he doesn't reign. Well, friends, Jesus Christ reigns. And in Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, we're told that having disarmed the, the evil powers and authorities of this dark world through the cross, that God made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them through the cross. So when we look out on the world and we feel tempted to think, well, as I'm sure we all do at different points, is God really in control, given the evil and suffering and chaos that we see in this life? This passage teaches that we can say, yes, God is absolutely in control, and he reigns in total power and unapproachable light. And the time will come when we will look back on this life and say to ourselves, how could we ever have doubted him? I love the words of uh, William Cooper's hymn, God Moves in a Mysterious Way. I think he gets it when he says, Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. 
So what begins to happen when we begin to see God's majesty, when we begin to see that the Lord reigns? This passage teaches that when we see that, we'll begin to experience this powerful combination of both joy and reverence in his presence. But what is this saying to you and I, I wonder? Maybe for you, it's that you've got the reverence part covered. You feel respect for God and you serve him in many ways. But actually what you really long for is to experience um, the joy again. To experience verse 11, that light shines on the righteous and joy on the upright in heart. And the Lord is saying to you what he said in John chapter 7, let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. Maybe for you it's the other way around. You've got the joy of forgiveness and access to God, but actually you know there's areas of your life that don't match up with what you're singing. And you long to experience a greater dignity and control over the passions and desires and thoughts that rage inside of you. To experience reverence again. And maybe the Lord is saying to you what he says in Romans chapter 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And let's not forget that the king we worship, that his crown was a crown of thorns and his throne was the cross. And that for the joy of having us with him in eternity and in reverent submission to his father's will, that Jesus sacrificed himself on our behalf and in our place. And as he died, he cried out those awesome electric words in John's gospel, it is finished. So that in the inevitable moments when, if we're honest, we don't reverence him as we should, in the moments when we don't experience the joy of intimacy with him that he holds out to us, that we could know his amazing grace calling us afresh to come to him and to put our trust in him. Let's pray.